Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. When you're arguing something, your terms should be clear, your proposition should be true. That means they should correspond to reality. Your sentences should be true, and your argument should be valid, logically. Let me give you a quick crash course in Aristotelian logic, the logic of the 20, of 2,500 years. The terms you use should be clear. You can't equivocate on terms. When you say God, you have to define what you mean. It can't be some human potential. You have, so the terms have to be clear. That's number one. The sentences or the propositions in your argument should be true. They should correspond to reality. That's what truth means. That, by the way, is a correspondence view of truth. There are five or six other views of truth that we'll talk about later. And your argument should be logically valid. That's what we're after. We're looking for terms that are clear in what we say, propositions that are true, that correspond to reality, and arguments that are logically valid. Their conclusions follow from the premises. What is it that apologetic or justifying religious belief, what does it involve? Two things. There's a positive, a positive aspect to justifying our belief, and there's a negative aspect. Now, I would like to insert there's an offense and a defense. But that sounds too much like football, so it just doesn't work. The positive aspect of apologetics or defending the faith is simply to amass the evidence, whether it's scientific, historical, whatever. Uh, miracles, fulfilled prophecies, authenticity of text. Amass the evidence for what you believe. That's the first thing we should do in apologetics, in defending the faith. The second thing that he calls the negative aspect, which I would call the defensive aspect, is required, quite frankly. And this is a good lesson on how to argue. You can't just say, I believe this, because look what I've done. Look at all my evidence. That's the, that's the positive aspect. That's only half the argument. The other half is, is the defensive or the negative problem, the negative aspect, which is you have to field all of the objections to what you believe. There is nothing more difficult in theology than, than doing apologetics, than defending the faith, because you literally have to know everything, like just everything in theology. Because critics are going to say, well, you've just given me evidence for your belief, but I've got evidence against it. So apologetics has to give the evidence for, and it has to answer, and the technical word is, is refute, R-E-F-U-T-E. It has to refute evidence against what you believe. So if I'm talking to an atheist, I'm saying, well, here's my evidence that God exists. And the atheist will say, well, here's my evidence that God doesn't exist. So I've got two problems as an apologist. I've got to give my evidence that God does exist, and I have to show why his evidence is wrong. 
And um, offensive or positive and defensive or negative. And that's how you write an essay, by the way, for anybody else when you're writing essays in small classes. You give evidence for what you believe, and, and then you show why the opposite beliefs are wrong, or else you're only giving half the argument. This is why I believe A. This is why I think B and C and D are wrong. That's an argument. That's the proper method of arguing. That's what apologetics does. Sometimes when you're arguing a specific belief, you have to be more negative. You have to field all the criticisms. And other times, you can be more positive when there's more evidence. There's not all that much evidence of life after death. There is evidence, but there's a lot more evidence against it that can be refuted, though. So it's a, it's a whole argument to know what's for and what's against. Justifying beliefs is, is, is looking for probability. You're not going to find absolute certainty with rational thinking here. You're looking for probable evidence, evidence that, that probably, maybe even likely, justifies what you believe. But it isn't certain. There's always somebody who could reject it, probably for a good reason, uh, something that can't be explained. So don't look for certainty. No one is foolish enough. There's been one Christian theologian in Christian history that I'm aware of in 2,000 years that said we can know everything rationally about God. Unfortunately, he's one of my heroes, St. Anselm, uh, way back when. But uh, He's the only one that even comes close to thinking that everything I believe in faith, I can justify rationally. No one bit on that one. No one followed that line. Because we understand that trying to justify what we believe we're looking for cumulative arguments. We're looking for probability. And you know, science is the same. A, a, an honest scientist will tell you that our basic theoretical theories are probably true, but we don't know for certain. That, that's just human nature. We don't know anything for certain when you come right down to it, with reason, with, with our minds. So don't think that anyone here is saying that we have all of the answers and all of the 100% conclusively proven truth. No one has that. We have certainty for our beliefs. If you can get to that stage, that, that they have probability. You'll never have certainty, but if you can get there's evidence for it. It makes me feel better that, 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 that I'm not just believing things without any evidence. That would be a tragedy if you, if you analyze your belief and say, my God, there's no evidence at all for it. None of it. It's all a contradiction. That's when you, you want to switch. We're not looking for empirical verification only. That's not what what that means is we're not looking for scientific proof only with the empirical or the physical senses, the five senses in reason. Uh, and we're not looking for psychological verification, something that feels good. We're looking for evidences, hardcore evidences, historical, scientific, not just scientific. There's more to life than science. You realize the problem, to make that simple, God if God exists, and that's the, that's the issue. Is there a God? Is there a soul? Is there meaning in life? Those are not physical things. God, soul, meaning. It's very hard to decide those issues purely on, on, on scientific terms, which only can investigate what's physical. We're looking for, for probability. We're not just looking for scientific evidence. We're, we have to be open for more than that. We'll see. It's an informed faith sometimes, and it's, 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 it's like basic feeling sometimes. Feeling like you have free will and whatever. And, and we're not just looking for psychological verification either, which is just based on feeling without logical and rational thinking. People object to engaging in justifying their beliefs. 
just so abstract. It, uh, you know, it, it sounds to them like it's head knowledge, rather, and, and they have faith, they have this feeling, and they separate the, their mind from their feeling, and then they wonder why, you know, you can't separate your rational knowledge from your, from your faith. They're not contradictory if, if your faith is valid. Um, it should be a com- combination of a reasonable faith that you're looking for. And you can't avoid using reason. Uh, it's an impossibility. Reason for engaging in apologetics. Try to make a list now. Just how many people have told you there are good reasons to do this and how many objections against doing it? It's the cultural malaise. It's the relativism. It's the, uh, the irrationalism, the, the anti-rational attitude of this culture that we have to combat, call it a spiritual death, that it's just everyone is uh, um, confused and, and, and believing things which are rational, irrational, who knows? Because no one is concerned in this culture, which is a postmodern culture which claims that there is no truth except the one that you believe in. Um, this culture is confused about whether there is anything worthwhile. If you have a belief that's true, you should seriously engage in, in this uh, defense of it. Others need to hear that. This course used to be called Faith and Reason. Um, so we spent an awful lot of time on what these words mean. Um, faith doesn't just mean what you believe in. It has a whole range of ideas. It's, faith is... Um, is more to do, in the Bible it talks about uh, we know God, we, we have faith in our heart. The heart involves um, not just faith, but trust and hope and will and all kinds of, you know, this is like Catholic theology, I'm sure, some of you are in Catholic school, this is probably all just old hat. There's an act of faith, there's an object of faith, we don't have to worry too much about that, just don't get the impression that faith is just any willy-nilly thing that you believe. Faith is a very loaded term, and, and realize that it's multidimensional. And if your faith isn't multidimensional, which includes a critical faculty, faith is not just faith, hope, and charity, and love, and, but it, it also involves the will and trust and knowledge. All kinds of things are involved in that. Saying reason has three functions. There are certain things reason can understand. Other things reason can discover. And there are some things that reason can go so far as even proving. What is it that reason without faith, just reason alone, unadulterated reason, can tell you about, about certain things? Well, it can understand what a star is made of. We, can under, we don't need faith for that. That's just reason alone can do certain things. It can discover things that it didn't know before, and it can prove things. Um, mathematical formulas and it, uh, like E equals MC squared, the Pythagorean theory, law of gravity. It, it, we don't want to stretch it. There's not all that much it proves. It can understand and it can discover things, but proving something, with which it's kind of like when you say prove, it's almost like you're assuming the word conclusive. Proof is a tough, strong word. It almost means 100%, and I think we have to be careful ever to use that word um, there's very little, I think, we can prove with certainty, prove with probability rather than with certainty. Because I, I don't think there's a heck of a lot we know. I know one and one is two. Um, but um, other than that, 
I suppose you could make a case that one plus one is three too. You know, like you know, if you have triplets, one and one could be four. You know, if you think about that, um, it's very difficult. Just even even mathematicians say, by the way, there is no absolute truth in math. Uh, it's so we don't want to even think that we in religion are proving anything with certainty. But he's giving some examples of things that we take for granted. Tautologies are true. That unmarried man's a bachelor. Uh, one and one and two is usually taken. If the subject and the predicate are, are obviously identical, that unmarried man's a bachelor. It's a tautology. That unmarried man, bachelor, the same thing. So that's a truth. Very few things. Um, we used to think that something that we all could verify, like we all look at the clock and say, it's true that the clock is there. Um, it sounds logical. I suppose with that case it would be. It, it would be verifiable, but... You know, when we say that clock, or th let's say there's a bone on top of the clock or a fossil, and, we, and, and if I said that fossil is evidence of, of evolutionary theory, then I think we're on the range of uh, not being absolutely true because there's, uh, there's an awful lot we take to be true that isn't certain, certain truth, but only likely or probable truth, depending on what we believe to start with. There are certain things that we know with our reason that what we believe in faith can be justified with reason. Certain things we know in faith, that's what apologetics does. It tries to justify those, and certain things pass the test, like um, that the universe is ordered. The universe isn't a chaos. It looks like there's a structure and an order to it. We know that in faith. We believe that in faith, but it looks like it's a rational belief as well. That's what we can understand. Historical evidence for Jesus that he lived. You know, there's still people out there that say the man never lived. It's incredible. There's so much. But we, we can understand that, not just in faith that Jesus lived, but that reason tells us he lived if we just look at the historical evidence for that. So certain things we can discover with reason that we already believe in faith. Certain things over here that we can understand in reason that we already believe in faith. That the soul does not die. There's a rational argument that the soul is immortal. Uh, and that's what we believe in faith. What we believe can be defended rationally. And by defending now, we have to change that word. We mean understand it or discover it or prove it with probability. So rather than me now saying apologetics or defending the faith, justifying what we believe in faith, now we have to say what we're really doing, what we believe in faith, we're trying to use our reason to either understand it, to discover it, or to prove it uh, with probability. This is a positive apologetic role. Notice that all of the stuff is not provable. Uh, some of it we can just understand. Some of it we discover. Um, and, but here's the problem. There are certain things that we believe in faith we have certain religious beliefs that we can't understand, discover, or prove rationally. There are certain things that we believe that we have to simply accept on faith. Now, that's not all there is. Like, for example, for Christians, one of the things that Christians hold in faith, which is very difficult for an outsider, let alone a Christian, to understand, Christians understand it to, to a certain extent, God's plan of salvation. 
like how God, why Jesus had to die, if you like. Um, it, it, it's simple. There's simple answers that people give you at your front door if you if you open them to the wrong person. But it's it's not as simple as as you might think when you start. You have to know the whole Old Testament sacrificial system in the whole context, and then it starts making a, a a bit of faith. But for God to love us, despite the fact that we're all pretty disgusting um, and fall short, is a mystery almost, to say the least. There are lots of things that, that, that we believe in faith that we can't be too confident in, that we have a rational understanding of, um, as much as other things, like this one. Um, that, that, that's exactly what he uses actually for this one that God loves us so much one of the scriptures says that uh, it, 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 you know, God God loved us despite the fact that we didn't love him Like it's just, it's just almost irrational it's just not the way we think but that's it's a very difficult doctrine as trivial as it may sound when you just think about it and this one the obvious one like the uh, the trinity that God the Christian says, that, as I was telling the other class, that the Jewish understanding of God in the Old Testament was not a, a complete understanding of God. That God involves more than just one center, but it's one God with three aspects. And the example that you can see used, it's like time. It's um, past, present, and future. It's all time, but it has three different aspects. Um, or, um, or, or matter, solid, liquid, and gas. None of the analogies really work um, because they, they never work directly. But it, it, it's very, there's no Christian that claims that the Trinity can be proven rationally. Um, what we do, though, and what Christians do, is to say, well, these are the scriptures that we believe, and they, 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 they say that God is three and one and one and three and, and, and it has to be explained. But you can see now that this, this is the role of negative or defensive apologetics. Because when you start saying that we should believe in a trinity, I mean, you're going to get a host of criticism. Well, isn't that three gods? Or how can God be one God and three gods at the same time? And most of those, like it isn't three gods and it's not one God and three gods at the same time. Like, like most of the criticisms, most of the so-called refutations of that can be answered, but no one's claiming that we can understand it. Uh, you don't, like I say, there's not too many sermons on the Trinity because even Christians would nod off, despite the fact that it's the basis of Christianity. This is the basis of Christianity, that Jesus somehow was God and the Holy Spirit is fully God. Like, this is the mystery of Christianity, but no one foolish enough to say, I can prove it with rational probability. We accept that in faith. So uh, there may be other things. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Like no one's saying this particular belief, and I bet you there isn't any belief. I'm sure there isn't. I think this, this structure holds for just about anything. Um, there's no belief that can rationally prove everything. Um, you have to just see what the price is for each belief, how much they have to let go of. Um, this one, this one is negative apologetics. When you see this as an example, what do you do with the Trinity, with that understanding of God that's so offensive to other religions? You have to, you have to ask them why it's offensive and what it is that you think we're saying, and then respond to that. That's, that's, that's negative apologetics. It's defensive. And try to show that that's not what we mean. 
it's not God and you know the Father and like having a child physically like like the Roman and Greek gods did. And it's not this and it's not that. Most of the criticisms don't don't really uh, affect what Christians are actually saying, but they're just misunderstanding. We have five possible positions we can take trying to reconcile what we believe in faith with what we can rationally understand. So faith versus reason. The first position is called rationalism. And I think that's well known to all of us. Rationalism says that everything that we believe, that's why this whole box basically is a rationalistic box. It it says that what we believe should be rational. It should be verifiable by science, by, you know, the five senses, reason, logic. Everything that we believe should be rational. Faith is in a circle here because that's what we believe in faith. And what this box is saying is, what's a ra- what a rationalist is saying is, if you believe anything in faith that can't be rationally proven, then so much the worse for your faith. The only faith that you can believe is what can be rationally proven. Now that's a pretty tough, hardcore position. Um, think about it. If you have any religious belief at all, what rationalism is telling you to do and this is the scientific, secular, humanistic aspect of our culture, what it's saying is, whatever you believe in in faith, you'd better be able to prove it rationally, or else it's meaningless. And I'm saying that that challenge shouldn't offend us, because I think it's silly. Um, If you believe something in faith, I think we have an obligation to look for the evidence, but we don't have any, any obligation to find evidence for everything we believe. Um, it's impossible. And why should religious beliefs all have to be scientifically verifiable? I mean, the joke is, the irony is, belief in God, which is the foundation of most religious beliefs, can't be verified by science. Science can't tell you whether there's a God or whether there's not a God. It can't adjudicate that issue. It doesn't know. All science knows is what's in the physical world. That's its purview of study. What's its physical data? And in the case of quantum physics, what they think is there. Science looks at this world. So this position can be rejected by saying, well, that doesn't work for most faiths because most faiths talk about things that aren't physical. Most faiths talk about meaning and souls and afterlives and and God. And science can't really prove or disprove any of that. Science has some evidence there's no life after death, and it's basically the brain dies and I don't see anybody walking around. You know, once the brain's dead, you're dead. That's, that's the evidence. Well, if you believe in an afterlife, once the brain's dead, the soul goes on. So, like, you know, rationalism we don't have to worry about. Even though we've been told for 400 years that religious beliefs have to be verified and proven rationally. I don't know how we got sucked into that, but we did as a culture. Uh, Christianity and other religions in this culture suffered greatly from rationalism because rationalism made people wonder. Uh, I mean, the good thing about rationalism is it, it, it reminded us that reason should be a factor in our belief. But the bad thing about rationalism is that reason is the only factor, according to them. That reason is the sole adjudicator of truth. Now, walk into a science class or some, some empiricist philosophy class and say, what is truth? And they will tell you the empirical verification method. You have to verify something with your five senses. 
and then if you see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, smell it, it's true. That's pretty naive because you can't prove love, you can't prove the, the poetry is good or bad, you can't prove abortion is right or wrong, you can't prove there's a God or a soul or an afterlife or a spiritual realm. There's a million things you can't prove with scientific method. We don't have to believe that in this culture, despite the fact that we're tempted and, and, and encouraged and almost forced to believe that with the dominant, the dominant influence of science. If you're wondering why there's only 5% of scientists and the mathematicians were the first in our list, that how many believe in God and the mathematicians at 14% were the top of the list, and the biologists at 5.5% were the bottom of the list? That's not a very big range. That's beyond pitiful. It's no wonder, you know, they have that belief, though, because they're rationalists. They think that the scientific method determines what's true and what isn't true. And God isn't an object that can be studied by science. It just can't be. It, it, it's not physical. They're learning their lesson with quantum physics and science, that there are lots of things that they assume to be true that they can't really verify anymore because there's some weird things. Speed of lights being violated, impossible. Uh, Non-locality, the electrons are communicating 30 miles apart, going in different directions, impossible. But it's happening. So science is a little more modest these days. But rationalism kind of rules this culture in a lot of ways. Um, this probably is why there's all this relativism and new spirituality, because rationalism was strangling us. It was telling us that if you have any spiritual belief at all, uh, it better be testable by reason or else you, you should drop it. And uh, that just stifled our religious intuitions, our religious beliefs. So rationalism is... Faithism, move on just so we finish this thing. Faithism is saying everything we believe should be uh, uh, an object of faith. And uh, even if we believe anything rationally, that should be, that, that should be uh, determined by what we believe in faith. It's the exact opposite. Hardly anybody you know, sees any merit in this, except this seems to be the dominant view of the culture, that what I believe in faith, what I feel in faith, what I, you know, is, is, is more important than whether, whether it's rational. And the only thing that's rational that's included here is basically what faithism says. That's, that's what this is called, faithism. It says that reason has to have faith to trust itself. Like, if you're going to say, I'm going to be rational, you have to trust your reason is giving you the truth. So the faith is saying no one can get away from faith. And quite frankly, they're right. I mean, we have faith. If you're a scientist, some of the main examples are scientists start with a faith that the world is rational, that the laws of physics and chemistry will apply, that the world is still there, quite frankly, when you close your eyes. Like, how do you know that if, you know, if your eyes are closed, that everything didn't just disappear? Well, we have certain basic faith in our scientific reason, what I'm saying is it looks like faith dominates here for the faithists. They're saying, hey, wait a minute, it's not reason that proved anything, it's faith. What we believe in faith should be rational, um, and, and yet most of it isn't. So, so much the worse for reason. This is a very difficult position to, to explain, but uh, we have faith in reason itself. So faith is the primary uh, category, not reason. If you say, I'm only going to face life rationally, you have faith that your reason will give you the truth. And that's a faith. So faith is prior. 
And a lot of people say, um, we do everything on faith. I mean, uh, I mean, what we eat tonight, you know, after the class is over, uh, we have faith that we're not going to be poisoned. We have faith that there's no gangrene. We have faith that the food is not going to hurt us. We have faith that the world is not going to collapse, you know, that the sky is going to fall. We have faith in so many things that we haven't verified rationally ourselves. Uh, probably no one has. Um, faith seems to be the dominant position. Now, that alone I accept, that we have faith in our reasoning abilities and faith does dominate. Now, this is all philosophical, theoretical. Theoretic. Here's what the real faithism, though. The practical faithism is what I've been opposing all term. Practical faithism basically says that everything is faith. It's all faith. And we don't need reason at all to adjudicate. Now, you still have the R in there, reason. But everything that we believe in faith is simply self-authenticating by the fact that we believe it. Reason has nothing to do with it. And if we use our reason... And that reason can give us, you know, some reason for the faith, all the better for reason. If it can't, all the worse for reason. Faithist is the dominating problem in this culture. Faithism. That we believe and feel and we reject the use of reason completely. So while I'm saying that scientific rationalism is a threat to your religious beliefs, faithism basically says that your religious beliefs whether it's atheism or faithism in God or spirituality, whatever they are, that faithism basically is an irrational, anti-intellectual um, you know, set of beliefs that refuses to be justified with reason in any way. That's the abuse of faithism. The theory part that faithism is just prior to reason, that we have faith in reason, is just an innocent theory. But when you get down to what faithism means in the minds of people, that's when it becomes dangerous. Have faith in what you believe and you don't need reason to verify it. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.